So we've come to the end of our little study in the book of Philippians, this letter of friendship that Paul has written uh, to his, you might say, favorite church. I suppose it's not right to have favorites, but he does. Paul has a favorite. I hope the study has been an encouragement to you. And as we come to the end of it, we have a few short verses. Philippians 4, verses 21 and 23 to 23 are just kind of closing remarks or greetings and a benediction or blessing. And sometimes you come across this and it's flyover territory. It's a passing thing. We just say, oh yeah, Paul's saying his concluding remarks. We don't really need to pay much attention to that. Let's move on. But here it is for us. God's Word today. This final greeting and blessing. So with that, let's turn to the text. We're going to be reading Philippians 4, 21 to 23. The Apostle Paul says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, they greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short word. We thank you for the greetings of one saint to another. Many saints to many saints. Lord, help us to understand and see Jesus and have that same joy in greeting one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our study of Philippians, I think we have gained a glimpse, a little bit of a glimpse, into the heart of the Apostle Paul. The things that make him tick. And I just want to highlight some of these major heartbeats, if you will, of Paul as we begin to look at this small little ending here. First, I think one thing that we get from Paul is that he's not just some impersonal theologian, but that he is a man who is full of affection and love for the Philippian church. We've seen that throughout. They're his friends. They're his partners in the gospel. And he rejoices and gives thanks to God for them and for the gift that they bring. So first, I think we get a little bit of heart, Paul's heart that he's not just some heady theologian. And he is passionate, secondly, about the, the, the partnership that he has in the gospel. He's passionate about spreading the good news of Jesus Christ wherever he is. I think that's something we get, especially in that first chapter. We saw that come out very clearly. He doesn't even care if he preaches Christ and somebody preaches out of rivalry. He, he's just happy that Christ is proclaimed. He's passionate, though, also about the partnership that he has with the Philippian church. And he knows, thirdly, that this partnership that he has with the Philippian church in the gospel is best, if you will, uh, effective, most effective when the church shows love and affection for one another. When the church is humble towards one another and serves one another and considers others more significant than themselves, as the church is united together, not just with him, but with one another. And we see that 
He particularly points out to the humility and love of Jesus as the model for the kind of love that knits and binds us together. But Paul also understands, we've seen throughout this little letter, the challenges that the church faces, and he encourages the church to endure whatever circumstance they find themselves in. The last thing we looked at is Paul's own ability uh, to know that he can be brought low and can be given much, and that he's learned to, to have contentment, joy, if you will, in all circumstances. He's trying to encourage the Philippian church to press on towards glory, to work out their salvation with fear and with trembling. Yet, not only do they endure, but they are called to endure with that joy. The joy in knowing Jesus, or simply joy in Jesus. Remember, it is the Lord who works in them, both to will and to do. So this, this whole little letter is packed with this rejoicing in Jesus. Of course, Paul will say, say you know, to me, to live is Jesus, to die is Jesus. And really, this is the heart of Paul. Joy is like the telltale. It's like the, the, the flag in the wind that points us in the direction. See, joy is, the, is what we see from Paul, but at the roots is Paul's love for Jesus. For to him to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Lord Jesus is Paul's joy. That's what makes Paul tick. And as we come to this final greeting and this benediction, I want to close our study by contemplating this joy in Jesus. What is it? How do we get it? How do we share it? Those sorts of things. Now, Paul does not use the word joy here. In fact, the greeting seems pretty perfunctory, right? I said earlier that it's like flyover territory. He says, we might, we might just read it as, oh, by the way, I send my greetings, you know, greet everybody, and God bless. See you later. We might just fly over it that way. Yet I keep, I, I keep thinking about this joy that Paul has, this heart that he has, that he has shared throughout his letter. And it's this infectious joy that he wants to share with everyone. And I want us to see in this final greeting and benediction how that joy is manifest. It may not be totally obvious, but I think it's there. My hope is that as we leave off this study, that we would not only have a renewed joy in Jesus, but that we too, like Paul, would share that joy. That we would let it pour over and pour out into the world, to one another. So we'll look at this call to share our joy in Jesus in three parts. I want us to see, first, that we need to find joy in Jesus. You can't share it unless you have it, right? So we need to find joy in Jesus. Secondly, uh, I want us to hear this call to share our joy in Jesus with one another. And then finally, I want us to just briefly contemplate sharing our joy in Jesus with the lost, with those who don't have such joy. So those three things. First, finding joy in Jesus. First, I would be remiss to assume that everyone here that all of us 
have joy in Jesus. I don't know your hearts. I know some of you well, and I can see the joy in Jesus. But, but I know that throughout my own life, that my love for, my joy for Jesus waxes and wanes. It waxes and wanes, right? In fact, you might be here today, Christian or not, full of sorrow and grief. Or maybe you're here this afternoon and you're full of anger and bitterness. Or you just have a sense of helplessness and frustration about life. I would suggest to you that at the root of our joylessness, at the root of our dismay and dissatisfaction with life, is that life just isn't what it ought to be. It's not what it should be. Maybe I'm the only one that feels this pain here. But, but I think it's true. I mean, relationships, even our closest, most intimate relationships, are not what they ought to be, are they? Our work. <laughs> Frustration at times, isn't it? Sometimes it's fruitless. Sometimes you feel like you're just on the treadmill. It's not what it ought to be. In, in the language of Genesis 1, it's thorns and thistles often, isn't it? What about our minds and our bodies? <laughs> I don't know if a day goes by when I think, man, especially when you watch the Olympics. You just think, man, am I weak? Frail. Our minds and bodies break down. They are not what they ought to be. And as we look at the world around us and we see all the trials and frustrations and battles, and the world is just not what it ought to be. We are not what we should be. And this angst that I've suggested to us that things aren't the way that they should be can lead us into a, I think, a deep dissatisfaction with both ourselves and with the world. And I want to say at the, at the outset here, good. We ought to be dissatisfied with the status quo. Things are broken. But God is at work in making things the way they ought to be. He is in the process, if you will, of transforming this world, changing it. Paul begins his final greeting with these words, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The word saint highlights for us the problem, actually, that things aren't the way they should be. The word saint, of course, here is referring to all the Christians uh, in Philippi. But at the core of this word saint, it signifies difference from the world around it, world around. The word saint comes, of course, from that Latin root, root sanctus, which means holy. In the, in the Greek, it's, it's literally holy ones. It's what it says. The, the Greek word is holy ones. So here, when it says saints, it says holy ones. In, in fact, the one who is most distinct, most other, most the way that they should be, the most holy one is God himself. The, most, the one who is the way he should be is God. The Bible, in fact, twice in Scripture, once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, describes God as holy, holy, 
holy. Three times holy, or better put, holy to the greatest, most maximum extent. There is no other that is greater. And it's used these two times, once in the Old Testament in Isaiah's vision, and once in the New Testament in John's vision in Revelation. Both of them visions of the throne room. As they're looking in a visionary way at the throne room of God, Isaiah, as he looks at this and as the angels cry out, holy, 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 he says, I'm, I'm completely undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. He's not holy. In John's revelation, similar scene, all the elders are gathered around and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. God there is holding on to a scroll. And as they look at the scroll, they look around and no one is worthy found to be able to open the scroll. And so what does John do in the vision? He weeps. He cries. Why? Because no one is holy. No one is worthy to open the scroll. God is how He ought to be. He is perfect and glorious and righteous. He is completely distinct from us in our world, which is broken, which is full of disease, which is fraught with fighting and frustration and is marred by sin and the fall. And there sits God completely distinct from you and I who are full of inconsistencies, selfish and illicit desires, bitterness, slothfulness, pride, etc., etc. In other words, we are wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, corrupted by sin and fall, apart from God's grace. And yet here in this little final greeting, the Apostle Paul says to the Christians in Philippi, he calls them holy ones. Here they are, set apart and distinct from the brokenness of the world around them. Somehow, these Christians in Philippi and the Christians in Rome who are communicating, they're holy ones, changed, transformed beginning to look different from the world around them. Bit by bit, day by day, they're beginning to reflect who they were made to be as image bearers of the three times holy God in that throne room. And here is the joy. Here is the overwhelming joy. Apostle Paul calls these Philippian church. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This is the overwhelming joy. Their holiness is not something that they conjure up. It's not some way in which they make themselves holy or that they create for themselves. But it is something they gain as they are in Christ Jesus. Now, we've said this before in this series. This idea of being in Christ Jesus is a very technical term that the Apostle Paul uses uh, that carries with it all the weight of the wonders of salvation. What is meant when, when the Apostle Paul says to the saints who are in Christ Jesus? What does he mean by that? He means that here they are united 
to Christ in his death and resurrection. It means that they enjoy being indwelt by Christ through his Holy Spirit. It means that by that same Holy Spirit, they were empowered and that they are transformed and being transformed, transforming. It means that as holy ones, they're no longer ruled by sin and the power of hell, but that Christ is their Lord. Christ is their head. It means, being in Christ means that we are co-heirs with Christ of all the blessings of heaven and enjoy the hope of eternal life. Being in Christ means we have access to our Heavenly Father, that we can go to the throne of grace and call Him Abba, and that He hears us, and that He answers us, and that He loves us. Being in Christ means that we are no longer our own, but we belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Being in Christ means being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, justified, sanctified, and will be glorified. Being in Christ means that we are forgiven and we are loved. Being in Christ means that we are not only united to Christ, but we are united to one another. To be saints in Christ Jesus, to be holy ones, is to be redeemed by Jesus. It's not something we conjure up. It requires the Holy One Himself to enter into this broken world, to face the scourge of sin and death, and to die on that cross for you and me. Friends, joy in Jesus comes as we see our unholiness, as we recognize our sinfulness, as we see that we are not what we ought to be, that the world is not what, we ought to, what it ought to be, but that the Holy One came and died and rose again, that we might be called saints in Him. Believer, that is joy-filled news. But sometimes we forget it, don't we? We forget the joy of our salvation. The world, our sin, the pain and suffering that we face, even the weariness of life blinds us to that joy. Sisters and brothers, don't lose sight of this. You are saints in Jesus. You are holy in the Lord, forgiven and redeemed by Him. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're just learning about what it means to be in Jesus and to, and to be united to Him, you know that things are not as they ought to be in this world. And you know that things are not how they ought to be in your own heart. You know it. And you know that you do not have the power to rise above it. Friend, in Jesus, there is hope and there is joy. Deep, abiding joy that you too can be set free and set apart, made holy, able to reflect the Holy One. And this One, this Holy One, calls you he calls you to Himself. He calls you to turn from the world with all its brokenness and to embrace Him. 
He, he calls you not to do any work, but to, to rest in His work of salvation and to find yourself clothed in His righteousness and called beloved a child of God. He knits you to Himself. Believer, friend, find joy in Jesus. Secondly, when we find joy in Jesus, Jesus, let it spill over into one another. Let, let, let's let our joy out, if you will. Let it, let it overflow into one another. Share your joy in Jesus with one another. I want you to notice something about this greeting from Paul. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints, presumably in Rome, greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, I'll come back to that Caesar's household in a little bit, but I just want us to notice that there's this every-all statement. Paul says, we all greet you, and now you go and greet all. <laughs> right? That's, the, that's kind of the movement. Or, go greet all, we all greet you. There's, a, there's this all-encompassing relationship. Um, there is something about being greeted that is very nice, isn't there? Like, we all want to be greeted. When you walk into a new place, you want to be greeted. There's an island uh, off the coast of Maine. It's about 20 miles out to sea. On it lives a community of mostly fishermen, lobstermen. And uh, I've only gotten off on this island maybe twice in my life. And not because I can't. Not because you can't get there. You can get there. Um, but because, as I remember this as a child, and even in recent memory, I remember getting off to check out the islands. You walk onto these, you know, you get off on the dock, you're in this little tiny town, there's lobster boats around, and people kind of in their doorways and whatnot. The few islanders that we saw when we got off, I remember this as a child very distinctly, when we got off, the, got off there were people kind of in their doorways, and they just stared at us. And they just watched us walk down. The street. It was like out of a movie, right? You go to the western town where that, there's that music playing that, you know, I, I have it in my head. I'm not going to try to try to do it, but you know, you got the little dust bowls kind of roll. That's what it's like. You get off of this island and people are just staring at you like there's going to be a showdown at noon. We got the message. You don't want us here. We're leaving. There was, no, there was no welcome wagon, so to speak. Now, the opposite of this is another island, a much bigger island or a group of islands that is down in the Pacific, uh, the state of Hawaii. They have a whole uh, philosophy or almost religion that, that is built into their DNA called aloha, right? I've never been. Maybe some of you have been. Um, but this idea of aloha, where you greet but not just greet with a hello, but it includes the concept of love and affection, of peace and compassion. And when you go to Hawaii, you don't want to leave. <laughs> you want to stay. It's really nice there, I've heard. Um, it was the, it's the opposite idea. It makes you want to visit. To know that you will be greeted, right? That's, a, that's an important thing. To greet someone is to welcome them into your life to some degree. It's to, it's to kind of welcome that person. The Apostle Paul throughout this letter has been talking a lot about the friendship and partnership that he has with the Philippian church. One of the fundamental aspects of our faith is that we share it. We don't 
live this isolated Christian life. I remember one of my friends in college, her father decided to just, he was done with church, and so he was just going to live the Christian life outside of church. I remember meeting with him and talking to him. What does that look like? This is an anemic Christian life. We're called to be in relationship with one another. We share our faith. Paul speaks at length in chapter 2 about, about how our union with Christ and our fellowship with God is the thing that binds us not only to God, but to one another. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, meaning love of the Father, any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, with the Heavenly Father, with Christ, if you have a relationship with the triune God, then complete my joy by having that same love and affection with one another. Consider others more significant than yourselves. It knits us and binds us together. The all and every here in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 4 means that there is no believer that stands outside of that bond. There is no believer no matter how strongly you differ from them, no matter how large the fight is that puts you outside that eternal bond. So what does it look like for the church to greet one another? You know, to have that warm, welcoming attitude towards one another. I think there's a few things. First, at the very least, it means to see one another. It means to, to actually see somebody. It has been my experience in the church that everyone feels like an outsider. I, I don't know how many times I've had the conversation with folks who express to me, I just don't feel like I belong. Or, I, you know, there's this group that I'm just not a part of. I don't feel like I know people. I don't have this relationship. And, and, and I've experienced this in every church I've ever been in. I've personally experienced that feeling, and I've had people talk to me about that feeling. And it's often a strange irony because it's often the people that the outsiders, the real outsiders, would look on and say those are insiders. One of the joys of being a Christian is being drawn into communion and fellowship with God through Christ. It's that movement from going to being an enemy of God to being His friend Right? That, that's what it is to be a believer, to be a Christian, is to be brought into relationship. And, and, and the beauty of the relationship that we have with our Father in Heaven through Christ is that it's, we bring nothing to the table as His enemies. We had nothing to offer. And yet He comes and He befriends us. He sees us. As we think about sharing our joy in Christ with one another, it means seeing each other just as Christ sees us. Not as enemies, not often that we probably do that with one another, but also not as nobodies. Right? Oh, those are people I just can't get along with, so I'm just going to ignore them. That, that, no. But as friends, seeing one another as friends. So the first thing is just greeting somebody is seeing them. Secondly, to greet 
each other, to, to welcome one another. And Jesus means seeing each other as holy. So what the Apostle Paul sees the Philippian church. He sees them as holy. You know, what does that mean? Well, it means seeing them as redeemed. Seeing them as Christians who are growing up and changing and being transformed by the Holy Spirit. I think one of the things that we often do in Christian, and it's not a bad impulse, but when we have somebody that is difficult, we look on them and we say, well, I'll have some sympathy for them. Um, I know I'm called to love them, so I'll love them despite them. But I think subtly we fail to recognize that these beloved brothers and sisters in Christ are holy. That they are indwelt by the Spirit of God, transformed and transforming, changing. We kind of write people and put them in a little box and say, this is who he is, this is who she is. I'm just going to stick them over there. I'll, I'll befriend them. I'll see them. But do you see them as holy, as co-heirs of the same blessings and joys that we share in Jesus? Remember, this is an amazing thing. Christ sees you as his brother. The Father sees you as his only begotten, despite who you are, despite who I am. I'm not suggesting that this negates the challenge that we face in relationships or the real struggle that we have with one another this side of glory. It simply recognizes that we are sharers together of grace. We are holy. Finally, to greet one another in Jesus, not only seeing them, not only recognizing them as holy, but it means sharing our joy in Jesus with them. Now, what do I mean by this? This is maybe, maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not. There are many things that we share together as friends, right? We share interests, we share hobbies, we share um, experiences, we share service, we share work maybe, we share uh, our education, maybe we're schoolmates, maybe we share some passion that we have. We, We like to share, maybe it's even trials, we share our trials together with somebody. And it's good to share all these things with one another. But I wonder how much we share our joy in Jesus with one another. I think it's really easy to share our woes with one another. It's really easy for us to get together and complain. I mean, that's just who we are as people, right? Like, oh, woe, woe is us. And actually, I would argue that it's also easy to share our worldly successes with one another. We we want people to rejoice with us and whatever joys we might have, and so I don't think that's too hard. But sometimes I think we shy away from sharing our joy in Jesus with one another. And when I say this, I don't just mean that we share only the good things of our faith. That's not what I mean by joy in Jesus but that we share together our faith and our hope in Jesus as we talk about all those other things, as we consider the trials that we're facing and all the difficulties that we have, we can share our hope in Jesus and the joy that we have knowing that He is with us, that these things don't happen for no reason. We share our joys and our sorrows and our work and our life, but in the process we share our hope and joy in Jesus. Paul can't help himself throughout this letter to talk about Jesus, even as he shares his own trials and ministry. 
And what is the effect when we do this? When we share our hope in Jesus, our joy and our faith in Jesus with one another. As we do this, the effect is encouragement. Right? We encourage one another. You know, it's, it's a different conversation, isn't it? When we go to our brother or sister and all we do is complain and complain and our brother or sister simply affirms us in our complaint and then shares their own. Or if our conversation, maybe, maybe it's just light and fluffy and funny and full of mirth, but it stops there. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I think it's important to share those lighthearted things and I think it's good to share our hurts and our pains and our sorrows as long as it's, we're not gossiping or sinning in that. But when we start to share our joy in Jesus, that is sharing our faith and hope in Him, when we start talking about that faith in the context of our complaint, or when we delight in the things, the light things, and see that in light of God's blessings and the blessings that we have in Jesus, It transforms not only our thoughts of God, but it deepens and expands our relationships with one another. We start to encourage one another. We start to understand one another. We start to be bonded to one another. In finding joy in Jesus, let us be sharers of our joy in Jesus. And let us do it indiscriminately with our brothers and sisters. And in so doing, deepen our bond with one another and encourage each other in the faith. Finally, in conclusion, share your joy in Jesus with the lost. It's really interesting that Paul here says in his greeting, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, This is an amazing thought to think about. What does he mean by Caesar's household? First, we have to define that. Um, And scholars generally say, well, you have to understand when it talks about Caesar's household, it doesn't necessarily mean his children and his, you know, his relatives, but it means everybody in the house. It means the servants, the guards, you know. He's already talked earlier about the Praetorian guards who are, are, are with him. And so maybe Paul's speaking specifically about them. Or maybe he's talking about servants who've come to help him in some way, and he's had opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with these folks that interact with him. But it wouldn't be beyond the Lord, would it, to save some of Caesar's household, some of Nero's kin, to come to Jesus. Wouldn't be that crazy, would it? Why not? Paul's love of Christ, his joy in Christ, spilled out to everyone he came in contact with, even the most unlikely of converts. I think sometimes we might have targets for sharing the gospel, and and that's not a bad thing. I think we, we ought to think and pray about specific people in our life whom we can share the gospel with. We ought to pray for the opportunity to do that. But sometimes we overlook those we think are hostile to the gospel. Often they're family and friends, aren't they? It's not that we don't pray for them, but we're we're a little shy about sharing the joy of our salvation with them. But for Paul, 
The joy of Christ. The joy of His own salvation. And who was Paul? He was the most unlikely of converts. He was a persecutor of the church. He was somebody who wanted Christians to be eradicated. He's one who oversaw the stoning of Stephen. He was the most unlikely of converts. And yet, so now, Paul here is not shying away from sharing the joy of Jesus with the Caesar's own kin, with the household of Nero, one of the greatest persecutors the world of the church the world has ever known. And this is where joy in Christ begins. In verse 23, we have the blessing. It's a benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Our joy, the joy that overflows and spills out of us, begins with God's grace. When we know that, when we've experienced that, when we know that there is nothing in us that would have chosen to follow Christ and to cling to Him, that there's nothing in us that would have done that, but only by the grace alone of God, then it changes the way we view others. If God could save a wretch like me with His amazing grace, why wouldn't He save so-and-so? Let that joy overflow. We've come to the end of Philippians. My hope is that we would be renewed in our joy in the Lord, that our salvation joy would bubble out of us, that we would love Christ more, that we would be able to echo Paul's words for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, and that that joy would overflow as we consider others in the church more significant than ourselves, serving one another, loving one another, sharing our joy in Jesus with one another, and then that joy would then spill out into all the world. That's Paul's heart. That's the heart of Jesus himself, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. Let's pray.